Welcome to the inaugural episode of The Crow and the Raven. I'm your Raven, Charles, and I'm joined today with our crow, who's going to get us started off today. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your origin story and uh, what people can expect from your side of the podcast? Yeah, I'm obviously crow. Um, I, there's not too much to say about what's going on with me now. Um, I'm just trying to work as a streamer and, well, working on this podcast with my friend here. Um and I mean, I, I don't know where exactly to start at because there's a lot of story behind like the whole origin story. If you want that. Yeah. Well, let's just start uh, simple. Let's, uh, you know, tell everybody your name, kind of a, a rough background um, and um, how you started getting into streaming since you brought up streaming. Uh, yeah. My name is Isaiah. Um, and that has nothing to do with like my whole religion background. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well, my background is uh, I'm I'm Native American. I grew up in a very impoverished or impoverished is it impoverished? Uh, yeah, I think that's impoverished it. background. Um, I just kind of fought and struggled my way up with getting a job and working, and just I've been working since like 13 years old. Um. And here I am now. I've got two kids, divorced, um, and really just trying to stream just started this year. So it's like uh, I, I started doing it just to start building community for people to get together and start enjoying themselves with each other. But the the more I try and do it, the more I actually want to succeed with it, especially with my son like backing me up with it and everything. So, yeah, absolutely. And uh, with your um, goal for building a community, um, how did how did that really come about? Was it something just like a, a need personally that you you felt you wanted to connect with? more and more people or was it more of like an external connection you saw other people were in need of and not having? It was uh, a little of both. Um, I wanted to, I being, being 38 years old, it's hard to like make friends at this age going out into like public with the social anxiety and with while at the time pandemic was still going. It's not that it's not really gone still but um so i needed to have a community where i could feel like i could be counted on or i can count on others i could have friends somebody i can grow close to because i don't have a whole lot of in real life like friends um i don't have a whole lot of in real life family that i'm really close to so having some sort of community for me to be able to have just as friends because that's kind of where it started out with was wanting to just have more friends um it was easier to do online digitally as opposed to actually going out into public which i know kind of says something about society now but that it was just easier but the more and more that i got out there and like started meeting people it seemed that it was also other people that needed a community such as that 
And it hasn't been the most successful community as far as popularity or anything like that goes. But I've got a small a small community, and it's it's nice. Yeah, and, you know, sometimes I, I feel like a lot of the times, really, the smaller communities are more close-knit and fulfill a more of a need than these massive, uh, you know, the bigger, it's, it's kind of like the whole thing of like the small village will – uh, help each other raise kids together and the giant metropo- metropolis will struggle to make ends meet for, you know, so many people as a whole. So the smaller the community is, is oftentimes the better in my opinion. Um, and I know you've been trying really hard to, to get this uh, community together. So uh, I know I'm kind of asking you questions as if I don't know anything, but it's, it's, from a, an aspect of trying to get everybody that doesn't know you to get to know you a little bit better. So with your community that you've brought together, uh, what do you call your community? And, um, you know, what, at what point did you start thinking like, okay, this is clicking and, uh, is, is something that I want to keep pushing towards? Uh, well, I started in January and it started out really slow. Uh, right. Well, it was more December, end of December into January. Um, and it started out really slow as I guess really any streamer starts out. It's always really slow. Um, for like three months, I basically just had like nobody except for like one person that consistently came in. And uh, after that, slowly it started picking more people up. And at this point now, now in what is it, July, almost August, it's like it's fallen off completely. Um, oh, I didn't even you asked. Uh, it, the the community is called Murder of Crows. And there's a whole reason behind that is because a, a murder of crows. Um, when when you look up the, like a group of crows, it's called a murder of crows. I don't really know why it's a murder. I didn't. I don't. <laughs> right. But um, the murder of crows they they all support and they are unique in the sense that they're a flock of, or a group of animals that don't weed out the weak or the the sick or anything like that. They keep them around and they tend to them and help take care of them. And anybody that's feeling left out, they still keep in the group and they still love and support each other all the same. So that was the whole meaning behind that. Um, Yeah. And, uh, I actually just Googled it because I didn't know either. Um, a group of crows is called a murder, as you said. There are several different explanations for the origin of this term, but mostly are based on old folk tales and superstitions. For instance, there is a folk tale that crows will gather and decide the capital fate of another crow, um, which is kind of interesting. That's from PBS. Uh, but like you said, it's it's you know these animals are coming together in this group mentality to benefit the overall preservation of that, you know, society, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, I think it was a a very fitting name. I think it's uh, a great community that you've helped to create and to build. And I know it can be so frustrating when things start to plateau or dip a little bit. Um, As you mentioned, it's, it's, you feel as though it's kind of falling off completely. But um, I just can tell from 
my interactions with your community that uh, there are times where as soon as you pop into a chat room or anything like that, that it's instantly, you know, the, the level of calm at times or the level of um, expectation, the level of um, excitement that comes from some of the other streamers, the moment they see that you're there, that you are having an impact and uh, your community does appreciate you, uh, myself included in that. Well, see, yeah. That's, so that's something that I, I try and I, I, well, I appreciate what you said. Um, but like, that's something that I've noticed in the whole, like the whole streaming gig is that when you do the networking, when you take time not to just stream, but like take a day or two where you just kind of go along, go out there and communicate with like people that you are communicating with or networking with or, uh, working alongside or whatever, like other streamers, other people that you've that have come into your chat and everything like that. Um, if you keep that communication up with those people, it it makes a deeper impact. Because um, that is something that I have noticed. Like people that I consistently go in and see, like it was like you um, are one of the ones that I've noticed that with. Like from the start, is like when I went in consistently, it was. Uh, mm-hmm. You you were noticed. You were remembered. Your name was put out there. Your name was more consistently remembered. So that that's something that like helps start that impact, like you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I I when I first started streaming back in, um, I know it's not my turn of it yet, but no, you're okay. When I when I I first started streaming, I noticed. it was very hard for me to get started. It was very hard to to build the channel at all. And it wasn't until I stumbled onto, I think it was um, uh, Tiefling was the first one that I bumped into. And she in, almost immediately after she was like, you know, how long you've been doing it? We did a brief little back and forth. And after just moments of getting to know her, the, one of the first things she said was, Hey, make sure because he's in the chat, you should, you know, talk to Dark Wikipedia because he's, um, you know, a very awesome human being. And, you know, I think that, you know, just in this small interaction we've had, you guys might hit it off. And we were just kind of just bouncing off each other and just just going with it in the chat. And we were had like our whole own little side conversation. inside her chat as she's streaming and it was just you're a very easy person for for me to talk to and and others as well i know um but it started with tiefling and then it moved to you and then you expanded it out to all of these other uh people that i i never i don't well maybe not never but um because we never know in the grand universe of things but um i don't think i would have ever stumbled upon uh, like Phoenix and and Nightmare and all these other folks, if it wasn't for her introducing uh, the two of us, and uh, I got to say too, it's like uh, the streams we've done together have been more fulfilling, even when no one else is there, for me personally than when I've had. You know, I think it's kind of sad, but. Um, 
the most I've had in my stream at one time, I think it was like eight. And even when I had eight people and they were all chatting, it wasn't as um, deep and fulfilling as some of the conversations that we've had during a co-stream. So um, I'm just saying all this to say that I think what you've done and the work you've put into this community has not gone unnoticed and is extremely great. And I, I really hope that you uh, continue to push towards that goal because you're doing an amazing job. Um, and uh, to kind of keep us going in getting to get to, to know you a little bit better, um, what are um, some things that are kind of central, I, I guess, to how you identify now? Like, what are some things that um, if somebody said, you know, I want to know who you are, what would you say to somebody that's like, you know, what's core to Isaiah right now? Well, first, 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 first. Everything you said, I I didn't know any of that with like tiefling and stuff like that. Um, I know you and I met in, with like in tieflings chat and everything. Um, but, but I mean, that's something I love about tiefling is that she, she's so supportive and she's so loving. She's, she sits there and like is able to pick out people that have good intentions and everything like that. Um, she's such an amazing person and I haven't heard from her in a while. Um, where was I going with that? That uh, you know, it's it's crazy. It's it, it's I never I never thought that I had like done any sort of like impact with like really anybody. Um to hear that kind of I'm surprised. That's all. Um, core things about about who who I am today. Yeah, like what makes uh, Isaiah tick, and and like if um you had to pick to try to help uh, steer it, like not steer it, but that's the wrong word, but to try to help out here. If I said if somebody came up to you and said you have five bullets to put on this paper to help somebody better understand who you are. What are your five bullets? Oh, I thought, I thought, I thought you were talking about like live ammunition. Oh, well, I mean, if that's like part bullet, of who you are, like bullet you know, points. <laughs> number one with a bullet, right? <laughs> uh, well, for who I am, I'm just, I'm just a regular guy. That's all I am. I'm nothing like special or anything like that. Um, just regular average Joe Schmo guy. Um, I am Native American, kind of witchy vibes, stuff like that. I mean, that's that's two things that make me up. Um, I have two kids. I'm a father. And that is something that defines who I am. It's either help build or break relationships or friendships that I've had. 
Um, I'm a gamer, and all I want to do is just provide for anybody that I possibly can. Those are like the biggest things. That's all I want to do. I want to be able to give and support as much as I can possibly do. What about you? You tell me. What What are your five points? Well, I think um, we're going to see some overlap here, of course. Um, but, you know, for me, it's um, being a father. Uh, I only have, I have one son. Uh, being a father and being a member of um, community is, is a big thing for me. Like, and not just when I say community, I don't just mean like the community that, you know, you've helped to create, uh, that you've created really, um, with the murder of crows and, and, you know, a friend group or anything like that. But I also mean, uh, family, locality, everything that makes that up and, and kind of like what you were touching on, if there's any way that I can give time, if I can give, um, you know, sometimes it is monetary. Um, but if I can, um, you know, help you dig a trench in your yard that you need dug to, you know, alleviate some uh, irrigation issues. If I can give you a shirt, if, if your kid needs shoes, if, you just need me to just sit on the couch and listen to something that's going on in your life. Like any way that I can help somebody in my sphere of influence in my community, um, in that sense, I, that's what I'm, that's what I want to do. You know, I'm a father is point one, uh, point two would be probably community in that grand sense, right. In the macro scale, um, three, you know, it's kind of tied in with the uh, community is, is family because obviously your family is going to be something that always takes a little bit of a, a, a priority. Right. Um, and for me, I don't have any biological family outside of my grandmother um, for reasons that we'll get into probably in another episode. Cause that's a whole ball of wax. Um, but I find that, um, like with my fiance, I've been married before divorced, have one kid from, from the marriage. Um, but engaged to my fiance, Shane now, and it, it's for me, it's like a light switch when I'm introduced to external family through significant other community, whatever. Once I call that person family in my mind, there's nothing I wouldn't do for them. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that's, 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 even though it's kind of tied into community, I'd say that's my third bullet because there's a subset of that community from the macro scale that clicks to a micro scale and there's nothing I wouldn't do to help. Um, there's nothing I wouldn't do. Just, you know, I get that phone call at 3 AM. Hey, I need your help. We got to go do something. You can't ask me about it later. Uh, you can never bring it up again, but we're going to hurt some people. You know, that whole thing, <laughs> there's a, a subset of that community that I would kind of ride or die for. Um, fourth for me would probably be, uh, spiritual for me. Um, I've gone through, and again, it's, it's probably a whole nother episode. Uh, my journey 
spiritually, my spiritual journey. Um, but right now I feel like I've kind of started to find that route I've been looking for for a long time, uh, which is Norse paganism. It really, for the first time having any sort of, for lack of a better term, framework that just reaches into the core and is like, yeah, this, this is, this is where you came from. I have ancestry from it, um, dating way, way back. Uh, but I've never thought I had never thought more of it than, Hey, I come from Vikings. Cause that's all, you know, you hear about right. <laughs> in school and, and movies and TV and all that. And then understanding that there's so much more to it in, you know, everything I thought I knew I didn't know and everything, um, I didn't know was just this vast wealth of knowledge that I wouldn't have even been able to say I scratched the surface of. And I now, even though I identify that way, um, I feel like in that aspect of spirituality, I'm still like a newborn puppy. Like I, 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 but I, now I know that I don't know, you know what I mean? So that's, that's a big bullet for me right now. And then lastly, um, I, I want to say like streaming and stuff like that, but I, for me, it falls into this grand category of like nerdism um, because I like all this nerdy stuff and it's a huge part of who I am. Uh, all the way down to like music. It, I kind of lump into that because as much as music fans and musicians probably hate me for saying that um, music and musician, music lovers, musicians, they are a special kind of nerd. Um, they are just as passionate about it as somebody that is into star Wars. They're just as passionate into it as somebody that's into, you know, insert, con here um and you know they will have these outlandish debates of like well you know if uh the beatles nirvana the foo fighters and slipknot were in a room like who would take influence from who you know and uh, it's great i have no hate in my heart for it whatsoever but uh it everything i love seems to have this huge nerd like obsession and following behind it and i'm just kind of like floating in the lazy river of nerdism um absorbing what i can and the reason i'm hesitant to say you know i'm a streamer even though i am trying to build the stream is i am very i've always been that self-deprecating humor person and for me um like you were saying with you know you feel part of the community part is kind of dropping off for me. Um, I have a lot of, uh, similar feelings with my stream because I don't have consistent viewership and I have, uh, an issue right now of getting any views at all, except for post stream views, like VOD views I get a lot of. Um, so for me, it's, it's hard for me to say that I'm a streamer because I feel like I'm not, successful enough to to claim the title as 
is I know that probably sounds stupid, but um, so for me, th- those would probably be my five. And I know I'm very long winded. Um, but for me, you know, that's, that's who I am at the moment. Um, but my top, my top ones will always be, um, father, community, family, I think would always be my top ones. Yeah. So you, you would have, you, you want to be a, a part of that larger community, but you'll still always have that smaller circle with you. Yeah, exactly. And, um, I think a often misquoted thing um, in our culture that stems from uh, Judeo-Christian values is that that old, everybody's heard this part of it, but we never hear the full thing. And it's an idiom that is run rampant, like I said, and it is blood is thicker than water. Everybody loves to say it and they love to have it basically mean family comes first. You do anything for your family you know, everybody else is, is outside this bubble. Um, but the rest of that is actually the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb, meaning the connections that you choose to keep the connections that you choose to make the connections you make between one another to form that community and come together with that bond is stronger than the water of the womb, meaning like it's stronger than, Hey, you have to obey this person for the rest of your life because they gave birth to you. Sometimes that's the case. Sometimes, you know, your mother figure is always there for you is always appropriate is always this, you know, somebody that should be held to that, that height. Sometimes it's not sometimes like in my case, um, the water of the womb and the family ties are meaningless because of what was done and the, the community that you build throughout your life will always be stronger than that. And, uh, even then with that community being stronger for me, there's always that subset that gets the additional moniker, uh, of family. But I, I do feel that it is important to remind people that just because you're born into a situation, just because you're born into a family and we like to have this idea culturally that that means their family forever, that's not the case. And you're not stuck with who you can't pick your, your natural born family, right? But you can choose whether or not that covenant is lasting or whether you need to put boundaries in place and form your own. So I always feel like that's an important distinction uh, to have and kind of goes into uh, starting to kind of jump into uh, the topic for our next episode. So I don't want to go too, too deep into the woods on that. Um, But it's just one of those things that I always like to just be like, you know, we, we have to, continue to push against that narrative that you know the family you're born into is what you're stuck with right um so yeah that's something that i would that i'll i'll want to touch on in one episode is just like all the different quotes and sayings that are like pulled out of the as you say judeo christian uh books the bibles um how all of it's misquoted 
Like, oh yeah, they're they're all used to justify a means that was never really there. <clears throat> I've, I've yeah, and I've actually made a video about uh, not having to take any sort of punches or anything like that from family because family just because they're family doesn't mean that they've get they get special bonds to you. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know one of the big ones um again I don't want to go too deep but one of the big ones for me that I learned of recently uh was you hear especially coming back again uh after Roe v Wade uh, and the push to bring other cases forward, including gay rights, uh, starting to get whooped up again, is this line from Leviticus, a text, one of the books of the uh, Old Testament, that basically says, you know, uh, a man shall not lie with the man as he does with the woman. Therefore, that's saying that homosexuality is wrong. And we've been had this drummed into our heads for what, the last 60 years, give or take? And uh, turns out that's not what it says. <laughs> oh, oh, I mean, of course not. <laughs> you know, it's what it says in the Bible now since the, I think the first one to do it was the uh, NIV, if I remember correctly. I, I might not, I, that might not be a ho- wholly accurate, but one of the Bible's translations uh, from around that time period of the 60s, um, you know, every so often, all these scholars get together and they figure out, you know, hey, we need to go back to the source material, review this stuff, make sure, you know, we're interpreting this correctly, which is a check on knowledge that should happen. I am fully support it to a point, right? Um, once you allow the current political, sociological influence to pervade that process you're and change things to fit the current narrative required by your culture. That's when you run into issues, obviously. Right. So what had happened was, uh, again, I just read this article not too long ago. Um, they changed the word. They changed the translation, I should say of the word in question. The word in question goes all the way back to the original Hebrew, because obviously the Old Testament was derived from the Torah, from uh, Judaism, right? So the original word for a man, the beginning of that sentence, a man shall not lay with a man, right? The first word that was used in Hebrew for man meant an adult man, any male that you would typically, when somebody says a man, that's what you picture in your head, right? Uh, 21 and up man, right? The next part where it says shall not lay with a man, that second man, right? Is a completely different word in Hebrew. And that word is essentially boy, youth, young man, underage child, of the male with male genitalia, right? That's what those words actually meant in the old Hebrew. And when you look at older Bibles, especially one of the ones that resonated with me, because I do speak a little German and it instantly, as soon as I heard the word, I was like, yeah, that's what that means. 
Um, so basically, the old, basically it's pushing the old, against pedophilia. Yeah, exactly. In the old German, it, it was the word used for man was man, and the word used for the other one was, uh, I forget the full word because it's a, a very old, much older German than I learned, but basically was kinder. With kinder, even today, if you go like go to the grocery store, the, the candy company named kinder, it's children. Mm-hmm. Candies for kids, kinder, right? And it's astonishing to me that the socio-economic, political, whatever you want to call it, cultural push at the time was to change that. Well, we don't need to worry, but I don't know. I can't speak it to their mindset, but it was. It seems like it was either, hey, who does pedophilia anymore? We need to target those gay guys, or you know, hey, we don't want to say it, but what if it was, you know, we need a kind of a shell game of protection or was it just, you know, to target? We don't know, but we do know that they've changed the literal text to fit their narrative. So, really- And that becomes very dangerous. Yeah, realistically, we need to look at who what, who the reviser was, like who revised this book to be the way it was. Yeah, or, exactly. What group of people? Because they obviously did have intentions of some sort there, to where they want to like retranslate and revise these newer issues to stand with whatever you know, whatever gains they wanted. Yeah, and we see that with um, one of the alterations made by the Catholic Church, which has nothing to do with doctrine for the most part. Uh, it basically just has to deal with a calendar. If you look at any, uh, what is it, Julian Gregorian calendar, the first day of the week, I'm pulling it up on my computer here, is Sunday. Sunday is the first day of the week. Saturday is the last day of the week. It's been like that for a long, long time, right? Right. Well, the Catholic Church decided in their, I'm paraphrasing, but it's in their own words when you look it up. Um, that if they could change the Sabbath from sun from Saturday, which was the last day of the week to Sunday being the first day of the week. And God basically didn't smite them. It proved that they had the ultimate authority from God on earth. (laughs) (laughs) So they, they literally took the day that their own God said, don't do anything on this day. This is a holy day. They said, "Yeah, we're just going to move that to Sunday. See if the big guy gets mad." I mean, that they obviously weren't smited. Were they wrong? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh, it, it's that's one of those things. It's it's you know, we see evidence of it all the time, and uh, you know, like the Book of Eli, the movie with Denzel Washington. One of the scenes I love is Gary Oldman is in his private quarters and he's this guy that's trying like hell to find the Bible. And they're like, you know, it's just a book. Why are you going after it so hard? Why do you want to find it? Cause there's no Bibles anywhere in this universe, this uh, theatrical universe. And he says, basically I'm paraphrasing, but he basically says, if you have this book and you hold it up over your head, you can say it says whatever you want and people will follow. Mm-hmm. They've been doing it for centuries. And I was like, God, that is 
it, it's a throwaway line that's just meant to, dis, to to explain why this villain wants the book so bad, but it resonates with me quite a lot because I feel like that's that's actually accurate. I mean, how many how many? I might be like taking too much of a shot at people, but there's like how many how many pastors, preachers, you know, priests, all of them. How many of them have like read the book entirely and actually have sat there and like debated what the meaning of any of those sentences mean in the book? Oh yeah. How many of them are just doing exactly that, raising raising it over their head and saying, you know, to my sheep, my family, my community, la 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 la. I mean, seriously, like. That that's why yeah. that line hits so hard, and I totally agree with you. I love that movie. That movie was great. Yeah, we also see um, in there's another. <laughs> I, I have a movie. I should probably change one of my five to movies, but um, another movie that has such a great line is uh, King Arthur. It I know there's a lot of them, but it's the uh, I think his name's Clive Owen. Uh, I'll have to look it up here in a second, but he, their whole take on it is that, you know, King Arthur and his knights are some, are, uh, Salmation knights. Right. And they fought so well against the Roman empire that they're basically their tribes allowed to exist instead of being wiped out, but they have to give every so, so often they have to give like seven, male children up to be Calvary for the Romans. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the whole shtick. And there's a scene where Arthur and his knights are tasked to rescue this, uh, member of the papacy and bring him back to Rome safely. They had to get him on the other side of Hadrian's wall before the Saxons come. And they're doing all these horrific things to their, their citizens and the citizens are saying, well, you know, Arthur's like, why, why are you guys allowing this to happen? What, what is going on here? And they go, Oh, well the guy in the castle over there or the estate, the Roman estate said, this is the will of God. And he read it from the Bible. And what you end up seeing is he's basically holding this thing up and reading the Latin that none of the commoners speak and saying it says whatever the hell he wants to say. And he has turned these people into basically serfs. And Arthur gets up on a rock and he's like, you have been free from your first breath. According to what that book says, no one owns you. And it's like it, the papacy itself was protecting this guy and was astounded that Arthur wouldn't just go along with it. And it's like, but he's, he's violating this guy's violating your own text, your own, your own core beliefs. But instead of just owning it and fixing it, they said, well, the common people don't speak Latin. It's fine. And it's such a powerful scene to me because we do see that throughout real history the Bible was in was translated into Latin and the only people that could read Latin were people that were approved by the papacy to be, you know, these remote uh, rural pastors and priests, parish priests or whatever you call it. And 
they could say whatever the hell they wanted to because nobody could read the book. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, those two scenes just really speak heavily to me because I feel like we we definitely see it throughout uh, throughout world history. And it's a damn shame. It really is. Yeah, I would agree. The And go ahead. No, go ahead. I was, I was just going to say there's a lot of a lot of events throughout history and the world that I'd like to see if rewritten without uh, the conformism of religion. A lot of events that you of, think you know, of the organized religion. What what kind of decisions and what kind of world would have been made from it? I'm always curious. Alright, it looks like we might have lost Isaiah here. Give him a few moments to reconnect. I've got it marked for you. Uh, we'll clip this part out, hopefully. Be able to do that. But so we don't have um, completely dead air for until we can figure out what's going on with the technical difficulties here. Um, a little bit about myself. I, I know I've given you the five bullet points, but a little bit about myself. Uh, I am an army veteran. I joined the military when I was 17 back in 2005 and uh, served up at uh, Fort Drum with the Polar Bears 431 Infantry. Cool. And uh, did, did uh, a couple deployments. Well, I got one deployment uh, for multiple tours. Got out joined the National Guard for the state of New York, uh, served on continuously from there, did a total of 12 years. Uh, got medically discharged for blowing my shoulder out during a training exercise. I then moved to where I'm at now and uh, started trying to established myself in it got my foot in the door uh i love computer forensics i still have a lot to learn in that regard but that would be probably one of my dream jobs is doing some sort of uh corporate forensics or internal affairs forensics i wouldn't want to do like strictly law enforcement leo um forensics just because i don't want to see what they end up having to investigate the majority of the time when it comes to stuff on computers uh we kind of touched on it earlier that like the pedophilia and the stuff i don't want anything to do with that so uh that would be very hard for me to deal with but the you know finding corporate espionage digging through the digital garbage and stuff like that is awesome i i really love doing that part of it uh currently work in it as a uh, basically tier three help desk technician um, with a speciality geared towards um, isolated enclaves and segregated networks. Uh, Like I said, I've been married um, and divorced. I have a fiance and a uh, six-year-old son Um, and roughly it was, yeah, I think it was uh would have been 2020 i was an essential essential employee we had just gone through a lot of stuff and 
Baldur's Gate 3 was about to release. And I am a huge fan of Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. I've been playing them since I was uh, knee-high to a duck, so to speak. So Baldur's Gate 3 was coming out. I was like, oh, I got to get this game. Uh, I told all my friends, um, which for me, much like uh, Isaiah, I don't have a lot of in real world, in real life friends. So I, I told every, you know, a bunch of people I knew online and uh, I, one of them that I had actually served with in the, uh, in the guard had reached out and said, Hey, is there any way that you could uh, stream this for me so I can see it because I actually would like to see this game. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'll do that. And that's actually how my streaming started. I sh- started streaming the early access of Baldur's Gate three and, uh, dead by daylight and that's actually how that whole thing started um and i just started really getting serious about it uh probably around january february of this year uh because i finally met somebody that was supportive and uh wanted me to do well and that's my now my fiance and uh then i bumped into tiefling and and dark wikipedia and you know the the rest as they say right is uh starting to become history um but that's a little bit of my background uh isaiah welcome back i was just trying to keep from having too much dead air there so i just kind of went back and did a little bit of my intro yeah you're good i sorry about that i uh my son came out and said we had a hiccup in the wi-fi so i think that's what happened oh oh no no problem at all i figured it was something like that because you just it was in mid-sentence and i was like "Ooh, something happened yeah uh, I marked the time spot though, so we'll go back and I'll clip out some of the white space there, and uh, it, it'll be fine. Um, but what uh, if you can remember your train of thought? Because if your brain's like mine, it's going to be kind of hard to do. <laughs> but if you can remember your train of thought, we'll get right back to where you were at. All, all I was saying uh, before I got disconnected was um, that I would have, lo- I would love to see like what the world would have been without the organized religion decisions and everything like that. Basically. Um, seen all the different stories that we have had told in the past, like all the, the, the fables, all the, the myths, all that stuff without like all the, the drive from organized religion being part of it. Like what kind of stories would we have? What kind of decisions would have been made? That Mm. kind of situation. That that's all I was trying to say before (laughs) my wife, I wanted to give up on me. Yeah. And, you know, to piggyback on that a little bit, um, it's one of those things that, like I said, I've been, I've had a pretty lengthy spiritual journey to get to where I'm at right now. Um, But something that's always struck me as odd is in the Judeo-Christian viewpoint, right? And cultural viewpoint of the United States, because, you know, we've been influenced so heavily by that, uh, Judeo Christian value. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, it's always blown me away that you can read this Bible and hear stories of this little boy charged forward, grabbed a rock, put it into a sling, which for those of you that don't know is a strap of leather with a wider piece of it in the center that you put a rock into and you hold the uh, very thinned ends in one hand, you spin it around your head and you let go of one string at the right time. And it's basically a, a very, a very primitive slingshot, 
right? It throws the rock out. And you use these polished, heavier stones that can really, you can kill a man with these things. Uh, But this little boy runs out, grabs this thing, throws a rock, hits a giant, and yes, I said giant, in the forehead, knocks him down, kills him. No one else in the entire countryside could have ever bested this person because he's one of the Nephilim, the, the men of renown, which are uh, these massive giant like humanoids born from the union of men and angels that came down from heaven and said, screw the big man. We want to be on earth. Uh, and that is seen as factually accurate. And then you hear a story like um, the Asir, the go- the Norse gods from uh, Asgard have a bet with a dwarf and a couple of dwarves to determine, you know, uh, well, if we win this bet, we're going to get these cool magical items from the dwarves. If we lose the bet, you know, the, we're going to lose these items and we have to do a favor. And Loki runs around trying to circumvent the Asgardian, uh, the, the, uh, Asir, but also trying to manipulate the dwarves and all of this weird stuff happens. And they point to a story like that and they go, Oh, well that's obviously mythology because there's multiple gods. And it's like, which one is more outlandish that a bunch of very powerful beings with either uh, spiritual power we didn't understand or technology we didn't understand did very human-like things and bickered with each other and had bets and side deals and undercut each other, which are very human-like traits, or a little boy killed a giant with a rock. Like, which one's more outlandish? Not to mention that that giant, which we have no evidence that giants even existed, was the offspring of a of an angel and a man, basically a demigod, is killed by a child who becomes the king for the entire region because he killed a giant. Yeah, so... <laughs> like, to me... Either one of them could be considered outlandish. Either story could be considered myth, right? But because history is written by the victors and all that hoopla, if it's from Judeo-Christianity, it's fact. If it, and it, it should be called religion. If, if you're not going to call it fact, you have to call it religion. If it's from anything else, it's mythology. right? And I, that's always struck me as being so condescending and so short-sighted and just inherently wrong to do. Like, depending on where you went to school, I went to school in Nevada, and we did have uh, pretty large Native communities outside of our areas, but I was in a very small white mining town. And when I say white, like, we could use our own skin to navigate the caves. You know what I mean? Like, we reflected light. We're Casper and, uh, you know, from the, the mountains of Caucasus, uh, we, but, you know, we would have native American speakers come in and teach kids some stuff and all this. 
And it was pounded into our heads before they got there and after they left that they were storytellers in that the stories they told came from their mythology, which again is very derivative. It's very uh, condescending to that entire culture. And even as a child, I was like, why are we, why are we calling these myths just because they're different from what we were told? And it's been a a very common thing to hear. And everybody's like, oh yeah, if it's not, you know, those can't be religions. Those are mythologies. Well, to the people that lived it, those were their religions. Oh, for sure. You know, and it's, it would be no different than if you were talking to somebody who identifies as a, a Christian and say, oh, you believe in mythology? They would find that very insulting. So, and, and rightly so. So could it be jealousy? Because if you look at it, there's been very minimal activity in the whole Christian, Christian-like background. Like when the whole, all the stories and everything like that, there's been very minimal like communication between mankind and uh god right right whereas norse paganism native american culture the the amount of contact between the people and the deities mm. or the spiritual beings or the gods or the guides the whatever like they worship or whatever they see as the higher entities there is constant communication between the two like groups. There's always constant communication between um, the entities and the man. Like throughout all the stories, there's there's always some sort of communication, right? There's always some sort of like mm. back and forth. There's always some sort of like disagreement, argument. Um, there's always some sort of agreement. There's always something going on between the two groups. Whereas when it comes to Christianity, the biggest communication was always in the stories of the Bible. Right. Whereas now you you could all everybody can pray until their face is blue, but that's all they're doing is praying, 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 praying. There's no actual communication between them and God. Some will claim to it. And I don't know if that's true or not. Just like nobody can really tell me what I believe in is true or not, you know? So Mm-hmm. I don't know. No, it's a it's a fair point. I mean, we look at um I I at one point when I got out of the my active duty time, I was trying to figure out what to do now that I was grown up. Like what am I going to do with the rest of my life? And like I said, I have a a long journey I've made <laughs> spiritually. Um but I was always raised Christian, so I thought, well, you know, I've got the time. I can go to school. Um, it's paid for for the most part. And this one school I found was going to pay the rest of it. Why not go? And so I went to Liberty university. And, uh, for those of you that don't know, it's a, that's a very, one of the larger Christian based schools, right? Uh, it, it's seen as pretty prestigious, not Ivy league by any means, but you know, it's, it's up there with the recognition and it's a very, 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 very Christian school. And I was going for a theology major. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to buckle down. I'm going to do this thing. You know, I was raised Christian. This is the right way to be. And what better way to learn the most about it than to do this. 
just go full tilt. So I did it. And one of the earliest and most lasting impressions and memories I have from that journey was like the first class. It was theology 101. And it was interesting. The coursework itself was interesting, actually delving into the deep dive and understanding these texts. That was interesting to me. But what was damning for the university and damning for Christianity from my perspective, my viewpoint, was that every single, the first assignment for this discussion post was to to share our conversion experience and discuss everybody's experience as a collective group. When they said conversion experience, I had no idea what they were talking about. I had been a Christian for, you know, identifying as a Christian and bouncing from one type of church to another for 19 years. And I had never heard that term. So I, I wrote my professor and I said, what, what is this? I, I don't understand what you're looking for. And when I tell you the shock from that professor of what do you mean? What do I mean? was basically the, the message back, right? Had no idea how I could even identify as being Christian and not have a conversion experience. Meanwhile, the rest of the class is going hog wild with, Oh, uh, I was eight years old. I was taken to the church. I didn't really know, understand what was going on. I went to Bible school for, you know, Sunday Bible, Bible school for a few weeks. And then I had a dream. I was visited by an angel uh, or, you know, I got baptized and I saw this uh, bright light. It struck me in the forehead and I could hear God, like all these things. And I'm like, I've prayed my whole life. I haven't heard anything. Mm -hmm. And like you were saying, there's no, for them, by and large, most Christians would agree with you that while they pray, they don't receive direct communication, right. right? And most people that say, hey, I talked to God, they everybody immediately goes, oh, this person's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in today's society, but it's been like that for a long time. And here I am in a class of 20 peop- adults, 20 adults, and 19 of them have this outlandish conversion story where 19 people are claiming to have spoken to an angel or directly to God when they converted to Christianity. And that was considered normal. And it was considered, well, everybody this Christian has had this. And I was just like, what are the odds of no communication from direct communication from God to Christians for at least 200, if not 2000 years. But 19 people that I'm in class with have all yeah, had, bam, you, you hit, you hit the uh, jackpot, man. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm, I'm in the one group of 19 pe- of 20 people that have talked to God directly since the, since Jesus was right. here, <laughs> you know, I was like, this just is, this is very odd to me. So I start 
researching and exploring on my own. And I found uh, a gentleman that I don't, I don't subscribe to Islam either. uh, But he was a Christian pastor. He had already, he went through all of seminary. He went through everything. Now he debates. um, He does a lot of debates. Um, And I want to say his name just because I I don't want to bring any hate his way or anything. I, I have nothing against him personally, but he was telling this story and it, some, you know, I've heard people say that it's gotta be bullshit, but based on the experience that I just told about, I just told everyone about, uh, it resonates with me. And it was, he was digging through and just doing his, his job, getting ready for, you know, to, to give a sermon. And he wanted to do a sermon about how we should turn the other cheek, be peaceful, all this stuff. And he came across a line from Jesus in the Bible that I did not come to bring peace, but to bring the sword or something. I might, you know, paraphrasing a little bit. And he was confused. He said, we've been, he's a Baptist. He's been told Jesus was a pacifist and, you know, peace, love, not free love, but peace and, you know, harmony, all of this. And here's a, a line that almost sounds like he's a warlord of some sort. So he brings it to, you know, his bishop. And he looks him dead in the face. He goes, oh, well, you see, uh, it's a mistranslation. Everybody knows it's a mistranslation. It stems from uh, Roman times. You know, they had to do all this stuff by hand in these great big tomes and then copy the tomes by hand. And they were eating spaghetti. (laughs) And it was known that sauce would get on the pages every once in a while. So word became sword because, you know, something got spilled out. (laughs) And at face value, you're like, this has to be bullshit. Like, there's no way anybody would believe this. And there's no way that this guy's telling the truth. But like I said, I was in a room with 20 people, including myself, and 19 of them claimed to talk directly to, to God or an angel. So I'm like... I I wouldn't be surprised at this point that that was a a factual thing that actually happened to this guy. And I further believe that it happened to them, to him because he immediately went out and said, well, I obviously know that's bullshit. You're lying to me. Like it's a bold face lie. It's stupid. It's a stupid lie. So he went out and he went to every religion that uses the Bible and did all of his own research and dug and dug and dug. And he found in his personal experience that the only Judeo Christianish religion, the only religion that, you know, uses the Bible and believes in the one true God and all that stuff that wanted you to think for yourself, that wanted you to ask the tough questions and wanted you to dig into the text and find mistakes and wanted you to, you know, make sure that what you're being told is the truth was Islam. Cause when he asked Jewish leaders, these tough questions, they balked, they did the same things. When he asked Christian leaders, they lied to him. When he asked Islamic leaders, they said, well, let's look it up together. Let's figure this out. Let's dig into it. Let's see where this meat is. Let's figure out why that was said the way it was said. 
And it's like, again, I don't personally subscribe to Islam either, but you know, it's to me, it resonated with me because I said, you know, I have a similar experience. Like I'm being lied to by people that say, you know, this is the, the whole truth. Meanwhile, they're saying that the, uh, the teachings of the Mahabharata from India is mythology. It's mumbo jumbo. The teachings from the, the Hopi about, I believe it was the Hopi about, uh, star brothers. That's all mythology. It's hogwash. Uh, Norse myth, the Norse people I came from, oh, that's all hogwash. The, it's like, so the entire planet is full of crap, except for the people that have been lying to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's <laughs> part of the whole conversion, like, the whole conversion mission is they wanted to ch- change the world into one religion. Everybody else was wrong. So, yeah, and it's it, to me, it's just there's we've lost, like you were saying, what would have happened? Where would we be with if that had not occurred? And I feel like, um, we have lost a massive, massive amount of knowledge, whether it comes from like real mathematical scientific discovery. Or it comes from, hey, this parable has been passed down orally for 4,000 years. It teaches you a really, it's a great way to learn this ethical or moral lesson. You know, we've lost so much of that because, by and large, uh, white folks have run around the world going, God wills it and slamming Bibles against people's heads, you know? And it's like, and I'm not saying that the current Judeo Christian church is like that. I don't mean to insult anyone, but it's, you know, historically speaking, like the whole idea that, um, what's his name? St. Patrick drove all the snakes out of Ireland. There's no snakes in Ireland. There's no literal snakes. That's because he drove them out, man. (laughs) there never really has been he drove out the he drove out the pagans because the symbolism of judeo-christian empires has been the eagle and the symbol for a lot of pagans was the serpent and we've been in this mantra and cultural blinder of believing well if it's a snake if it's a serpent symbolism it's evil if it's an eagle it's holy now because the victors write the the story now taking that symbolism into account with the eagle and the serpent think about like the american symbol of the eagle and the snake in its talon or the snake on the flag that says don't tread on me it's cut up into pieces think about all that symbolism and you're you're talking about old, old symbolism of an eagle and a snake and the different portrayals of that from the past. Oh, that's a whole rabbit hole that I definitely want to get right. to. Um, <laughs> but it's interesting to me, like you said, uh, the part that's interesting to me of that is when you go way, way back, the 
cultures that were stomped out by eagle waving uh, empires were all serpent. So it's almost as if the victors needed a reason to write in the history book for why they committed the atrocities that they did. And the serpent was an easy fix because there's a, a bad serpent in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it has been argued and they're trying to constantly trying to find the truth of it, but it's been argued in these debates that I was, I've mentioned before I loved watching debates. I love watching debates between uh, Jewish scholars, Islam scholars, and Christian scholars. They all get together and they just debate and try to find the truth of things. And by and large, they're pretty civil, which is also really cool to see. Um, but the interpolations and everything that's happened, one of them that they've been looking severely at, and I don't know, they may have found the answer by now, but um I'm not sure is that the serpent in the garden was never a serpent. It was just a tempting spirit, a spirit of temptation. And it wasn't until centuries later that they changed it to be a serpent, to deify or to uh, demonize, I should Mm say, uh, all of these cultures around the world to label them as being satanic or label them as being, um, savages or anything like well, see, that. So that was another thing that I I uh, grew up understanding or hearing a story about is that snakes actually did have arms and legs, you know, and all that, but they were taken away for being a sinful creature and were forced to crawl on their bellies. Yeah. And it, it, when you're looking at a story like that, in the modern mindset of all of these stories were symbolic, right? It wasn't, it most likely isn't talking about a literal snake, Mm -hmm. right? So could it be that a story like that is referring to the people of the snake, the people who came from this serpent culture, whether it was serpent worship or just serpent symbolism were due to the invading or alternate group of folks were forced into a subservient role because they were being accused of being that evil satanic or dark, you know, culture. What if it was, not a literal snake, but the subjugation of an entire people because they were labeled as that other. Right. You know, and a lot of our stories from back then are so symbolic. Like you have to be from that time period to grasp in its entirety, what they're referring Mm -hmm. to, you know, like one of my favorite ones, uh, my stepdad was a Puerto Rican and he is a huge influence on me. Uh, for my spiritual journey, his in his words, he wanted to find the quote-unquote right religion. That, that was his goal in life. And he would debate anybody that came to the door. Jehovah's Witness, Mormon, didn't matter. And he wasn't mean. He was just like, well, 
I read this and this doesn't make any sense because you're saying it's something completely different. This is what your Bible says. Like, help me out here. Let's find it. And um, he would just find the littlest things and just, you know, drive into it until he got them to a point where they were like, well, we just don't know. You know, there's there's so much symbolism. And one of his favorite ones was Ezekiel. Because Ezekiel looks up into the sky at, at in one point in the story and he sees a burning wheel within a wheel within a wheel. No one knows what the fuck that means. Journey does. <laughs> but, yeah, the wheel yeah. in the sky, right? Uh, but it's been interpreted to be a celestial event. It's been interpreted to be a religious spiritual event. It's been interpreted to be aliens for crying mm-hmm. out loud. Because, you know, you, a lot of UFO sightings have been, well, there's this, you know, it's a sphere, it's a uh, saucer like object. So it's a, a wheel, right? And then there's lights in the middle that are turning counterclockwise to lights on the outside. So it would look like a wheel within a wheel within a wheel. And others are like, the dude was high, man. (laughs) (laughs) And it is interesting as well as like, there's such deification or uh, keep saying deification. I mean, uh, there's such a a need, a knee jerk reaction to vilify it in uh, all of these substances, right? Marijuana is bad because drugs are just bad. Okay. And all this stuff. But an interesting tidbit that I found was the old, old, like ancient pictures of the saints always had that weird halo. Now they just have a halo around it. But back then it would be like on uh, stained glass. You'd have this, you know, pale, white, emaciated looking dude in a robe. And then you'd have this large uh, yellow sphere behind him the outline of it was yellow and then there'd be lines in it going from the outside towards the back of the guy's head, like where you couldn't see. And I was like, it's, that's a weird looking halo. It was never a halo. It was the underside of a mushroom cap (laughs) because to have these religious experiences where they talk to God, these guys would self induce a psychotropic state or psychedelic state or whatever you want to call it um, using magic mushrooms. Let's see. Nothing's changed from back then now, either of them. Right. But like if you do psilocybin or you, which I want to try is a ayahuasca and a guide, an actual guided trip through people who know what the fuck they're doing, not, some dude in a basement going, here, try this, bro. Yeah. Uh, I want to do that because everybody says it's such a, a mind-opening experience and a great spiritual experience. But it seems pretty damning as well to organize religion that their origin story is from people using the psychedelics to achieve an altered state in order to communicate. And who's to say that now that we know there's many worlds, many dimensions, there's, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth dimensions all around us at all points in time. And we can only perceive three of them. Who is to say 
that if you alter your consciousness, you might be able to interpret a fourth or a fifth dimension and that there is something there, whether it's a God or just a Cheshire cat that likes to hang out with a friggin' caterpillar that smokes weed all day. You know, there, who's to say there's not something to it. And if there is something to it, is that why they wanted to demonize it and make sure we weren't doing it? I mean, if people are trying to conform people, then yeah, I think so. You know, and it sounds very conspiratorially minded of me to say things like that, but it's like looking at everything, it's like, you know, all of the saints, the people that created the doctrine that these folks follow and push were using psychotropic things to reach altered states of consciousness. And the people that have their manuscripts that are, you know, telling us how to live don't want you to have that altered state. It just seems very strange to me. And it could even just be something as, you know, Arkham's razor. The simplest solution is usually the correct answer. The Arkham's razor of it could be that they don't know. Did you? They don't, they, they don't know that they used to be in psychotropic states. They don't know that they used to trip balls. And so they just go, well, my daddy said not to do it. And his daddy said not to do it. And his daddy said not to do it. So nobody should do right. it. Did you, did yeah. you say Arkham? Yeah. Arkham's Occam's? razor. Arkham's. That's what I meant. Thank you. <laughs> I was like, is it Arkham? Arkham is a completely different thing. <laughs> that's uh HP Lovecraft. Yeah. Uh, Caesar Romero's mustache. Yeah, no, it's uh, Occam's <laughs> razor. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, but I mean, even then, like people that weren't give, able to have the mushroom, they found other ways to do it with like meditation and out of body experiences and uh, transitioning Absolutely. and sleep. Like, and the, this is something I'd like to have a conversation about at some point is like, what do you feel? dreams are oh because i always i always grew up and i never had a conversation with anybody about dreams specifically with anybody but the way my dreams had me feeling and the way that i had like come out of dreams and the way that things aligned with life too much like it felt like it was like a whole second life to me and it was strange but it was like it was it was the same things that was happening in my life day to day, except I was making different decisions. So I love that question. Let me just say that first and foremost. I love that question. Um, as to what exactly they are, I, I don't feel anybody has enough information to be like, boom, yeah, right. <laughs> um, but an interesting interpretation from a very unlikely source, by the way, uh, Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness without giving too much away. Cause I know there's probably a lot of people that haven't seen I that haven't yet. Seen, yeah. Um, the idea is that when you dream, especially when it correlates to something similar to your life or like you said, it, making a different decision, right? That what you see in your dreams is an alternate dimension mm -hmm. or timeline 
and you are watching yourself from that alternate perspective, and that's a hundred percent real. It's happening or happening. Well, that yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's this whole second life, right? So you're making different decisions, or something else is going on. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> and if that person, if you were observing the moment of their death, it's because that is such an amplification of energy. The termination and the creation of life is this boost of the signal, right? And if all of the dimensions are intertwined or bumping into each other, like the multi-worlds theory, there's in this idea that like each timeline dimension, whatever you want to call it is a bubble and all the bubbles are in a line and time and space is a wave. It's not a linear thing. So it goes in all directions at all times in infinite patterns and permutations, but that these, what would happen theoretically speaking, if one bubble, the wall of one bubble pushed up against the wall of another bubble, even for just a moment, would one see into the other? Would both see into each other? Would something spill from one to the I was other? Say, if you're talking about like, like if you, if you're using bubbles as an example, when a bubble touches another bubble, they merge for a second. Right, and there's this idea that that's why uh, time slips happen. Uh, from a strictly nuts and bolts scientific, this is what we know perspective. There are things called X points. And there are these mysterious anomalies that occur all over the place in space, but they also occur on earth and they've been able to tie some of them together where they know for a fact that an X point opened on earth and to another point in space and they were connected together. How they figure that shit out is way beyond me, but they figured it out. And these X points are only open for moments at a Mm -hmm. time. But there have been instances where people are reporting these strange things. And theoretically, if those X points are moments where space and time are interconnected between two points for unknown reasons, and if those unknown reasons are dimensions or timelines merging or briefly touching together for a moment, in theory, if you could control those X points, you would be able to traverse between them. Now, in the case where they're connected from Earth to space, if you were able to traverse that, you'd wind up in space, or if you were in space, you'd wind up on the ground, which would be a very great way if you could control them and time them to get shit into space, right? Because you could just, all right, we know an X point's coming here in you know, X amount of time, put the rocket that has the payload to get to the international space station on that point, it gets hit by the X point. Boom. It's in outer space. And now you just have to propel it to the space. Mm -hmm. station. You know, the other theory is that ones that aren't interconnected like that are what caused time slips. A very strange case that I want to do a deep dive on at some point. Um, But based the short story, short version of it, is a guy from the 1800s hit an X point and was transported through space and time to, (coughs) (coughs) like the 40s, whenever the Model T 
like hard body came out. Um, but was transported into the future at the same moment and at the same physical location. He just went forward through time and space and to the observer in that time period, driving down the road, a guy literally appeared out of thin air directly in front of the vehicle and was struck and killed. But all of his clothes were old timey had no identification because they didn't exist at the time. And the only thing that they could identify him by was he had an old, like mint tin, like an old Altoids kind of tin. And inside of it was a movie, was a stub for a movie that had, that played at a theater that has been closed for a hundred years and was dated for when the guy was alive. And they traced, they used that information to trace down somebody who's a distant relative of someone who said, yeah, the story was that they were together. That's how she got pregnant. And he ran off because she got pregnant. And the description and everything matched like who this guy was. So it's, it's very anecdotal. It could be complete bullshit. But what we do know is that a mysterious guy appeared in the middle of Times Square, got killed, is dressed in old timey shit, has stuff on his person that should be dust by now. And no one knows anything about him, where he came from or how he yeah. got there. So if you ask me, if it's you ask me, completely bizarre. There, there's a lot of unexplained and mysterious things that happen in this world. And the way that it all just gets cast off is just, well, whatever. That's that's out. Um, yeah. And it it reminds me of a more recent story. I, I, when we, if I do a deep dive, I'll, I'll have to, you know, get my everything lined up for it. Um, but it was very similar. A guy went, um, skiing or some shit. Um, not just a few years ago, like maybe 16 to 18, somewhere in there. Anyway, he goes, uh, skiing disappears Families looking all over the place for him. There's a manhunt. They're trying to find him. They are worried that, you know, he went off of a, a black diamond trail and ended up, you know, getting snowed in somewhere or what have you. They're worried for this guy's survival. Can't find him for weeks. And then he pops up in the middle of a field in California with no memory of what happened, still wearing snow clothes in the middle of like Death Valley. It's it's like the guy just was picked off the mountain and dropped in the middle of that field weeks later. Yeah, and and but I mean, you don't see this kind of stuff unless you're actually digging for it, either, though. Yeah, well, well, that one was on. Uh, I remember that one was in the mainstream media because everybody was looking. Oh, wow, for the I didn't guy. know the last time I actually watched mainstream media. <laughs> yeah, and and the big thing for it was, you know, well, obviously this guy just ran off and wanted to make a publicity stunt or wanted to dodge his family, and it's like, well. Maybe, or maybe he's telling the truth and the poor bastard got bamfed across the fucking country. Well, somewhere. see, and that's, that's something that sucks, though, too, is especially when it comes to man, they're, they're always seen as people that would do exactly what he was accused of. So right. he's he being a man, he's got that that background already. So, yeah. Yeah, like and, and it's kind of ironic in a sense, because it's not too long ago in America, if a woman had made some sort of claim like that, 
they would say, oh, it's that consumption now, or you're getting hysterical. Oh, right. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you know, do electroshock therapy and all kinds of just atrocious things. And, you know, now if somebody said, oh, she's just getting excited or she's being a hysterical woman, they'd be they'd be like, hey, shut the fuck up. And rightly so. I'm not defending misogyny at all. Um, but it is ironic that we've developed that for women. But for men, we still hold them to that like knee jerk. Oh, well, you're the worst. So obviously, right. you know, right. it is a little it is a little ironic that. In this country, in my opinion, uh, based on what I've observed, because I do love history and looking at this stuff, is we never fix a problem. We never fix a problem. We identify a problem, and then we invert it rather than fix it. So what I what do I mean by that? Like um, the way we've we treated African Americans Americans in this country historically, right? absolutely fucking atrocious and horrible no way around it we have a horrible history when it comes to how we've treated them um we've identified that as a problem but we don't fix it's not worse (laughs) we we find ways of like oh well we got you that uh, that proclamation so you're good to go right problem solved well no you just scribbled something on a piece of paper my guy like you didn't fix anything and then, oh, well, we'll put all these rights on paper, but we'll still, you know, tongue in cheek, hand over the right side of your face, looking to the left. But you know what we mean. But I mean, and, and then, and then people sit there and say, what, what are you talking about racism? And it's like, it, it's still happening. <laughs> yeah. And then eventually we start seeing this idea and I don't, I'm not saying it's a mainstream idea. I'm not saying the majority of people believe it, but we are starting to see it where the idea of, well, maybe we should just make them feel the way they made those other people feel. And it's like, well, pump the brakes. We're getting to the inversion now, right? Where it's, you know, people that look like this did a bad thing over here. So we need to do the same bad thing to them and invert the problem, which is not a good solution either. And I feel like we've seen that more so with the men, women conversation um, where it's like, you can't treat women as second class citizens. And I a hundred percent agree with that. And we have to have equality. hundred percent agree with that. They, you know, they deserve equal rights. They deserve equal treatment. They deserve equal pay. However, we are seeing a situation wherein, like you said, men in some regards are starting to be treated as second class or not given the same, hey, let's hear it out. Not given the same, well, they're a person too. Not given the same they have mental health issues too. Right. Not, you know, it's, we still have this toxic masculinity towards men where, well, you have to act like a man. You have to be a man, be a man. But also with that same in that same vein comes the automatic assumption of guilt or nefarious behavior 
because you're going to act like a man. Right. And well, and see, and that, that adds to that whole, like part of the reason why men aren't getting that sympathy is because there are people that are sitting there going, well, you know, you know, you now, now you know how it feels. And then there are people who are sitting yeah. there saying, well, you're a man, suck it up. And it's just, yeah. it's just constantly the same thing over and over and over. And it, we, there's, there's somewhere where it just needs to break. Yeah. And I think as a society, right, we need to get to the point where we understand that every single human being is the same. They're a human being. Right. And, you know, they're going to have mental health issues. They're going to have anger issues. They're going to have anxiety issues. They're going to have PTSD issues. They're going to have um, societal, cultural Etc. 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 They're a human being. It does not matter what their gender is. It does not matter what their sex assigned at birth is. It doesn't matter what their sexual orientation or identity is. They're a human being. Yep. Treat them yep. like one. I don't understand how that's such a like. And will everyone will agree to that? Everyone goes, yeah. Everybody should be treated like a human being. But as soon as you go to apply it. Well, hold on. That's a man. That's a woman. That's a this. Right. That's a who. That's a dear. No, we're all human beings. Just cart. We need to get to that point as a society. I was actually discussing this at work with a co, a couple of coworkers to a degree in a different vein. Uh, but we need to get to the point as a society where we say enough is enough, and identify humanity as a global condition, meaning it doesn't matter. Nothing matters. Not even your, your country of citizenship. Every person on the planet, every homo sapien sapien is a human being and humanity needs to act as one entity as one community as one you know life form and 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 absent of a consistent seemingly ever-present external threat to this planet i don't see it happening the likelihood of that kind of external threat ever being presented is also highly unlikely but you know imagine if a space, this big old mothership just showed up and said, we're declaring war on your whole planet. Every human will be treated the same. We are attacking every human. We would have to come together and just say, Hey, everybody's human. This is a one, one planet, one species, one fight. Let's still go. Still wouldn't even matter. It still wouldn't even matter because our world is so goddamn divided. It still wouldn't even matter. Uh, you know, and uh, a good show, if you if anybody's never seen it, is uh, V, the television show V, uh, about, uh, I think it's the full title is The Visitors, but they, it just has the big V on the front of it. 
Um, there's an old, old one and a newer one. I, I like the newer one personally, but the gist of it is these aliens show up and they go, we're here to help. We're going to give you new technology. We're going to patch you up a bit, a bit about a boop and real. Actually, they have a, you know, ulterior motive to basically farm, enslave and take over the planet. Uh, it's a very interesting show, but there's that whole dynamic like you're saying is like everybody was so divided that we couldn't come together and say we're going to accept the help we couldn't come together and say we're going to reject the help we couldn't come together and say we're going to go to war we couldn't come together and say we're going to have peace so it was just a clusterfuck the entire time because no one could agree on anything and unfortunately i i think you know you're correct and we're getting at that point where it's like we all agree something's got to give we all agree that, you know, uh, people making less money now than they did in the 1980s is, is not fair. While, you know, corporations are making billion to one profit margins compared to their employees. Um, we can agree on all these things, but nothing ever changes because we're so divided on stupid shit. Like, is this dress online green or blue? We'll debate that for six months. We won't debate, hey, how do we start treating people as people? Right. And a lot of that is a, a, a selfish root, root system. It really is. Because there's a lot of times when people will sit there and rally up and be like, yeah, yeah, this is this, like, like what you brought up was like the minimum wage and everything that's making enough money, making the lowest amount of money. Everybody will agree with that. But as soon as one of those people, I'm not saying all, not, not in the slightest, not saying all, but as soon as one of those people finally get what they're, they're sitting there protesting for, they're getting what they're asking for. They completely leave behind the rest of those people and they're, they're happy now. They're good, so they don't need to protest. They don't need to fight for all those other people. They just—they were just fighting for themselves. They were yeah. just using what was already happening for their good. They got their good. Now they're gone, and that's the, there's there's a good selfishness, and then there's a bad selfishness, and there's the the bad selfishness is always so often, not always. It's so often right up front. And it's something that always, that's always something that divides us among a whole slew of other things that divide us as a society. We can never actually be a society because we're never fully together. We're never fully a society. I mean, look at what happened during the pandemic. Like, instead of sitting there trying to fight a, a virus that was killing people, that was putting people in the hospital, putting people on respirators, putting all this stuff. Instead of do, like doing any of this, so many people are sitting there going, well, that came from China, that came from Japan, well, that came from Africa, well, that came from Canada. Everybody was so willing to point their fingers and just blame whoever instead of actually trying to take care of things and help each other out. It wasn't a societal means. It was just who did the wrong. It's so childish. It's yeah. so immature. And, and we also had the issue of um, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few being Trump, no pun intended, 
being trumped by, um, well, me, mine, 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 and mine don't want to do that. So because of my selfishness, I am not going to do what the many need. Right. The needs of the many aren't as important to me as the needs of me, mine, 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 and mine. As long as you got that in, in your hands, then what's the matter? <sighs> and I saw uh, t- on TikTok, somebody made a pretty, they were talking about this kind of thing and, and, they said, uh, you know, when women as a whole were fighting for the right to vote, you know, you had predominantly white women able to speak, mm-hmm. right? Because at the time, <laughs> they were the only women that were allowed to have a voice, and even then they weren't heard. Right. But you had them yelling for this change, being supported by African-American women, Asian women, Hispanic women, trying to, Native women, trying to say, yeah, we're all women. We all get a voice. And then as soon as it was, well, white women have a voice, you can vote. The fight was over. All of those, the fight was over. The white women went away and the rest of them going, where are you going? What the fuck just happened? We we supported you. Why aren't you helping lift us up to where you are? They just turned a blind eye. And, you know, none of those women are around today and women today aren't responsible for that. But, you know, it's their, their response was basically like, you guys left us in the mm-hmm. dust. When are you going to help us? And now, you know, with Roe v. Wade and these other things going on, it's starting up again. Like, oh, we need all, need, all the women need to come together and, and fight against this. And it's like, you're not leaving us in the dust this time. We're, we're not going to support you. We're doing this for us and we're going to support our community first. Right. Because you're, we're not going to have it happen again. And on one hand, I'm like, yeah, but we should all come together because it's the right thing to do. But on the other hand, like, how can you fucking blame anybody for having that opinion? Right. Like, it fooled me once, shame on me, right? Or shame on you. I mean, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Like, yeah. why, why would I put myself in a position to get smacked again? Yeah, I, I hit the buzzer too many times already. So why why am I going to get hit by the buzzer again? Right. It's a a lot of this stuff is like the 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 uh, unstoppable force meets an immovable object. You know, it, it seems so daunting, but for me, I just I can't wrap my head around the level of selfishness it must take and the mental gymnastics one must have to do to look at 
anyone else, any other homo sapien sapien and go, well, I'm a human being. I deserve rights. You deserve less because I said so. Right. Or among any of the things that have happened throughout the past, the skin color, the voice, the accent, hair, Mm -hmm. uh, there's so much discrimination and it's insane. And and it's, it's kind of like we were talking about before where it doesn't get fixed and it just comes full circle. Excuse me. Yep. It's like the, um, that hotel, uh, in the Midwest, I think it was, or Southwest of America where they, they were saying that no natives were allowed because they couldn't tell the good ones from the bad ones. And luckily enough support was generated to get that hotel out of there and put in an institution that doesn't discriminate like that. But it's 2022 and somebody thought that was a good idea. Yep. You know, or the business in Florida that hung a sign that said no Jews allowed in 2022. Someone thought that was a good idea. Mm -hmm. And I'm very worried about what that means for, for the future, especially like, you know, January 6th, we have the hearings on it and most likely no one's going down. No one's going down for that thing, you know? And it's like, why is it so hard for us to just say we're all human? Let's make sure everybody's taken care of. Why is that such an outlandish sentiment these days? I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this now. Like, Roe Ro versus Wade, like, the fact that that overturned is a clear sign as to where this world is going in the next so many years. And the cases that they are bringing up to overturn or laws or anything else that they're going to, they plan on changing within the next year are clear, clear signs as to where and how this is going. And it's not, yeah. it's not a good place. It's not a good place. For it, the slightest. Yeah. I mean, it, it feels like one of two things for me. Um, Either we're going back to the rolling 20s and those weren't the good old days, despite what people will tell you. Right. Um, from a standpoint of sexual orientation, identity, gender, and uh, race standpoint is what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. Um, or we are going to go back to the belief that over 20,000 Americans had in 1941 before we started fighting Nazis in 42 in Madison square garden in New York, where over 20,000 Americans dressed in Nazi regalia and wanted Nazism in America and wanted us to support Nazi Germany. But with better numbers, right? And neither one of those things is a country I want to live in. Nope. And I mean, there's people that have already left the country and have plans to leave the country. And, uh, I never, as speaking as somebody who was raised to love this place and who fought for this place, who had friends die for this place. I never thought I'd say 
that I would rather leave this country or that I thought this country was going to an unsavable place, an unredeemable line of or path to the future. Mm-hmm. But that's where we're at. Oh yeah. You know, it's uh sobering isn't really the right word, but it's unreal. <laughs> yeah. Surreal. Absolutely. <clears throat> and uh yeah, it's just the the fact that and, and the fact that Roe v. Wade can be overturned and thirty five ish percent of the country is applauding it. That's insane. And is <laughs> and you tell them you realize Roe v. Wade is basically just about privacy because it's the only way we could get that to get through. Mm-hmm. It was the privacy between that woman and her medical doctor to make the best medical decision for her, which is where we get HIPAA, which is where we get the right to bodily autonomy where, hey, uh, your coworker Jim needs a new kidney. You've got two of them. Cough one up. They can't do that because we have privacy Mm -hmm. between ourselves, our doctors. We have bodily autonomy. All that goes away. All of that goes away and they're fine with it because it's not them. Yep. Exactly. And that one poem, I'm going to butcher it. So bear with me one second. I'm going to grab it quick. Sorry, I just muted it because my keyboard is very click clackety. Uh, but the poem by Pastor Martin Niemöller. First, they came for the communists, and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews. And I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out for me. Yep. That poem has always struck a chord with me. And I never thought I'd see the day it play out here. And I never thought I'd see the day that the only country in the free world that said appeasement does not work with a dictator. We have to stop Hitler would be the ones trying to appease totalitarianism. Like I just, I never saw this day coming. You know? Yep. <sighs> yep. That's, uh, how long? How long have we been? Have, how long have we been going? Uh, we are at an hour and fifty-one minutes, which is a bit longer than I believe we had originally <laughs> intended for episode zero. Uh, but I do feel like we're getting to a, a kind of a, a natural 
slow down on the episode. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and you know, I know you probably have work coming up. I've got work in a few hours myself. Uh, but this basically was our episode zero kind of get to know us a little bit. And then it kind of devolved into what the show is actually going to be about what this podcast is all about. And that's two friends discussing pretty much everything under the sun, <laughs> give or take. Yeah. Uh, a couple of average guys, like opinions and point of views on the world society. And I think, Again, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, our next episode, uh, we're going to be focusing on um, men's mental health and mental health in general and why it is important and and the societal viewpoints and challenges that come along with that. Yeah, I think that'd be a good kickoff episode. Uh, because we're both very passionate about mental health in general. Uh, and we have, we both have a lot to say about men's mental health, especially. So yeah. <laughs> I think that'll be a, an easy flowing one for us, uh, without a doubt. And, uh, we haven't really ironed out a, a, a set schedule yet. Um, but we're going to be, you know, we'll be discussing that and we'll be posting it on our, our social medias, uh, as well as here on riverside.fm. It should, I think, also post to Anchor because they're kind of tied together. It'll definitely be on things like Spotify, so uh, just keep a check on that. But I'll also be posting about it on my Twitter. Uh, and uh, I'll do the same. All, and, and yeah, and all of my social media stuff is Carl Bansonier or TTV Carl Bansonier. That's K-A-R-L-B-A-N-N-S-O-N-R. And if uh, Isaiah, if you want to give yours out. Yeah, all my social media is uh, Dark Wikipedia, D-A-R-K-W-I-C-A-H-P-I. Except for my Twitter, my Twitter has an extra D at the very beginning. And, you know, what I post my stream schedule, all of the stuff that I have going on during that, during, on, uh, during that, on Twitter all the time. But I'll definitely be putting out uh, information about the Crow and the Raven on there. Uh, once we get a set schedule, you'll be able to see that on Riverside.fm as well as Anchor.fm. And uh, if you're ever interested in checking us out on our streams, because we are both streamers, my schedule is posted on Twitch, but it's basically Monday, Wednesday, Friday from 9 p.m. to midnight Eastern Standard Time. I really and, have no schedule. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but if you subscribe to, if you at least follow his channel and follow his Twitter feed, you'll get those alerts and be able to pop in and, and check him out and see if you like his stream. Um, we, even though he doesn't have a set schedule per se, he's, he's very consistent on, on uh, Twitch. You'll see him all the time if you follow his channel and he's very worth following. Uh, it's very worthwhile to follow him. You'll love his channel. And uh, I hope that you all, uh, we'll enjoy this podcast as well. I'm, I also want to mention that uh, you, you didn't need to say all that stuff about me. The, but I want to mention that this podcast isn't always going to just be serious stuff either. With the, the, like, like, like Charles said, we're going to be doing this uh, like about everything under the sun. So, yeah, and you know, who knows? We might even do an episode about uh, the flying spaghetti monster. Who knows? Well, you know, that's a very, it's a very well-known community. 
<laughs> well, we look forward to seeing you all next time. Or not really. I keep getting used to saying that for a stream, and this is a podcast, so I'm a little thrown off by that. But uh, I hope you all enjoyed the pod, the podcast episode here. Uh, this episode is what are we doing here? Just to kind of give a, a brief explanation as to what this is all about. Uh, we hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we'll see, we will uh, be. You'll hear from us later, have, but we hope to see you soon too. Absolutely, and this should be. We're going to do some, you know, editing and things. This should be done around Friday, and hopefully, you know, we'll be able to get a schedule where it's every Friday. You'll have something new to enjoy. Sounds wonderful. All right. Well, thank you for uh, coming out, Isaiah. Thank you for your time. Uh, I know we're friends and this is our podcast together, but I'm always thankful for you to be sharing your, your time and your thoughts, feelings, and viewpoints with me, uh, e- even in this kind of a format. So I do thank you for coming. Charles, and uh, you, you don't know how thankful I am for having you around right now, man. I appreciate you. I appreciate you too, man. And uh, I will see you next time. And, uh, you know, thanks again and, and have a great night. Good night, everybody. Good night, folks. Thank you.